Lord, we are so grateful that we can gather together as your people and sing your praises. And as we look at this subject of singing your praises this morning, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon each and every one of us and that you would encourage us, challenge us, push us, and comfort us as we seek to give you such praise and do so. I ask that you would think our thoughts now, that our words would be yours, and that you would bend our wills to your own and set our hearts on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The great British Anglican preacher of the 19th century, Ario White, observed regarding the Colossians text that we had just read, the surest sign that you're carrying a full bucket is that you have wet feet. You ever had a, isn't that true? You're carrying a bucket to wash your car, and it gets all over the place, right? Well, when our lives are full of Jesus, we overflow, ladies and gentlemen. And today, we're going to talk about the overflowing of God's grace in our hearts in our singing. We're in this series on worshiping in spirit and truth. And so the health team got together in August and we crafted this together as a team. And we talked, we've talked about what worship is. Worship is something we do all the time. The question is, where is our worship directed, right? Then we talked about why we worship. Because we're all bent towards worship and we all learned that we should be worshiping toward the God who is through the cross. And that's exactly how we do so, is through the cross. We come to him from the cross, looking to the cross, thanking God for the cross. And last week we said, we looked at, okay, now we're going to look the next three weeks about our corporate worship. And so last week we focused on Jesus' words that God's people are first, as we look at Sunday morning, we come to meet God and love one another. All right? You cannot do the Christian life in isolation. It's impossible. We're called in Scripture to work out the one another's of Scripture. We're to bear with one another, right? We're to forgive one another. We're to love one another. We're to iron, sharpen iron one another. And you can't do that if you're staying at home watching the NFL pregame shows. All right? It's impossible. All right? So, we've been challenged these last month, and so today... I have asked, the committee decided this is a good idea, and quite frankly, there's no one better qualified to talk about us in our singing than our own music director, Brian Bailey. So let's give it up for Brian Bailey, shall we, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> and so we're going to tag team this with a little bit of an interview, and so Brian, I welcome you, my brother. You know, I introduced him as a special guest, and he took offense at that. He's not a guest. He, he's not a guest. He's a member of Christ Church, and as well as our musical. He's, not, he's here every week, and so anyway, we're glad you're with us, my friend. And so, Brian, if you could give us just a, a brief introduction to yourself. Tell us what your background in studying and thinking about music and worship is all about. Right. So, um, several years ago, when I was a college student, um, I was in a degree program, which was actually, it was music performance as an organist and pianist, but it was a church music emphasis. So, uh, you know, for, so I've been in and out of touch with, with uh, some of this material for many years. 
And then my first teaching job, which was 1994 to 2004, was at Appalachian State University in North Carolina. And even though it's part of the North Carolina state system, we had a program there in sacred music. That's what it was called. So uh, I preferred to re refer to it as, as church music. I think it was a, a, maybe a slightly better term. But as part of that, those teaching duties, um, you know, I, I did quite a bit of Bible study uh, during those years and other kinds of study, reading other kinds of authors on uh, liturgy, on hymnody, so congregational song, the, the church's song. And so uh, it's been a while since I've taught that material, so I've been out of touch with that, but you know, uh, it's a good lesson in saving everything. I saved a lot of those class notes and uh, pulled them out and you know, was, uh, some of it came back to me fairly quickly uh, over the last couple of weeks. Of, oh yeah, this is, this is what I taught. So uh, it, it's, uh, it's somewhat familiar. So even, you know, uh, now uh, most of you know me that as a choir director at Cleveland State University, that's mainly what I do these days. Uh, but you know, over the years I've had different kinds of jobs in churches leading choirs, uh, you know, playing piano or organ and being involved that way. All right, great, thanks. Well, can you tell us about the physical act of singing? Right, okay, so singing, um, you know, we are commanded to do it in scripture, you know, and we saw that in, in Psalm 98. Um, I believe that it's something that everyone can do. Now, I, I mentioned that because some of us have been told that we can't sing, you know, by a, by a teacher, even by a music teacher, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, but I think uh, I think that's misguided. Um, yeah, I think singing comes simpler to some people than to others. But almost everyone can sing. Almost everyone can carry a tune. It just takes some people a little more practice than others. And so, you know, if you if you've internalized that message, you know, it becomes it becomes a psychological block or a spiritual block for a lot of people who have been told that they, you know, by a by a music teacher, by a relative, you know, by by someone who's even very close to them, oh, you can't sing. Well, maybe you know, on a particular day or maybe a particular song, it just was not right for their voice or whatever. But uh, but very very few people. Uh, can really not carry a tune. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly small percentage of the population. And then, of course, some people just medically can't make sound in that way. Uh, but most people can sing. And singing involves the whole body when you're doing it well. So it's actually athletic. So I tell my students that they are vocal athletes. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm actually serious about that. So, you know, a lot of singing that we hear in popular culture um, maybe doesn't involve the whole body because they're, because people are relying on microphones. Microphones are not a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. But you can, you know, you can make, you know, very, very sort of whispery light sounds that don't involve the whole body and that are not athletic. I don't think that's the way the voice was, was created. And isn't it great also that the voice is the one instrument that God created directly? 
as opposed to the others that we could say maybe God created them indirectly. I don't know, that's right. a kind of a theological question. It is. Actually, Pastor, if you want to comment, <laughs> comment on that, you know. But, but this is an instrument that, that God created. I mean, I think, and I think it's marvelous. And it's, mm -hmm. it's capable of such a great variety of sounds and tones if you listen to different languages and different styles of music. So yeah. um, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, so, you know, if, if for those of you who have internalized that message that you can't sing, um, there is hope for you. You know, we'll make sure that we pray at the time of prayer. Make sure that we that we prayer that we pray for some healing and for some deliverance from that. Amen. Amen. Well, tell us about the uh, the biblical foundations for worship. So we've, and we've looked at some of those in our scripture lessons today. And, you know, many different places you can find, you know, long lists of, and, and there are long lists, of references to music and references to worship in the Bible. And there are a lot of them, you know. Um, it, so it's, so it's, it, it's a huge question in certain ways. So I just, maybe just want to share a things right now that, that came to mind that I think that I think might be helpful. Um, in scripture we see both uh, in terms of worship, both structure and we see spontaneity. Both structure and spontaneity. And both of those things are affirmed, I think, in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So for example, in the Old Testament in the, uh, the books of First and Second Chronicles, you can read about in the, in the worship of the first temple the establishment of this uh, professional class of musicians. Okay? Most of whom, perhaps all of whom, were Levites, so they were from the, the priestly clan already. But uh, there, there's structure there. There is a sense of, of formality and organization. But you also see spontaneity and spontaneous worship in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament. You know, uh, King David dancing before the Ark of the Lord as it was brought to Jerusalem and you know, losing his dignity. Mm -hmm. And the daughter of King Saul criticized him for that. Mm -hmm. um, so both things. And then in the New Testament, likewise, the Apostle Paul says in one place, do all things decently and in order. Okay, so that, that implies some, some, maybe some structure. But then the same man tells us, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So I think there's also affirmation of spontaneity in worship mm -hmm. and even in corporate worship mm -hmm. as well. Um, we have the book of Psalms in the Bible. That's, our, that's the largest book of the Bible the longest one, and it's a songbook. Now, these were originally intended to be sung. They're in Hebrew, 150 of them, and such a great variety, you know, a great uh, richness of material there. Um, you know, we have what I might call objective praise that is focused on God, not that God is an object, he's a person, but objective praise also have some things that are more personal and individualistic. Mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. I think I think both of those
and a variety of expressions in terms of things being joyful. Uh, there are some laments there, some, some mournful things. There are some confession of, there's some confession of sin in the book of Psalms. Um, and in a sense, there's also doctrine in the book of Psalms. So, mm -hmm. so all those things are there uh, throughout the book of Psalms and I think throughout scripture as well. And one of the things that, one of the reasons that I'd like to mention that is uh, certain styles of worship or styles of music might be criticized mm -hmm. in certain quarters. And some of, maybe some of us have done that. I have done that, you know, from, from time to time. But on the other hand, you can point to scriptural affirmation, I think, for, for a lot of this. Oh, I also want to mention in the book of Job, this is kind of taking a, going in reverse a little bit. But in the book of Job, we're also told that there was singing at creation. You know, in, this is in Job chapter 38. This is God's answer to Job's complaints. You know, where were you, Job, uh, at creation uh, when the morning stars sang together? You know? mm -hmm. So singing throughout the Bible. Moses and the Israelites celebrating in song after they, after they crossed the Red Sea. Um, and then we can look at our scripture passages for today. Uh, the second Chronicles passage, which, which I think is so great. And I, I admit that growing up, even though I grew up in the church, I had never heard this passage until I started looking at, you know, lists of, com more complete lists of scripture references on music and found this. And I thought, how great is that? You know, that this was the military strategy. Put the, put the choir, put the singers in the front, worshiping God. Okay, now, that was for that particular time and place. I'm not sure I would recommend it for any modern army. You know, it's a very different situation, right? We use it all the time. Do you? Oh, well, okay. Fort Marshes. Fort Marshes, yeah. Singing. Okay, that's fine. You know, that's fine. Um, but... But this, you know, the, the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, great name by the way, uh, you know, this was after their prayers. This is this is what the Lord revealed to them mm -hmm. should be their strategy, and it worked. The, you know, three armies, three armies were coming against Judah, and because they were worshiping the Lord, the armies fell into confusion. They started attacking each other, and you know, and. Judah was victorious, so um, so how great is that? So uh, Psalm 98, make a joyful noise, which we hear, uh, we see in other psalms and other places in scripture as well. Make a joyful noise. So the instruction is not make, make a beautiful noise, make an in-tune noise. The instruction is not go win a Grammy. <laughs> All right? It's not, you know, impress the people around you, but it's make a joyful noise. So, we, you know, we're, we're told to try. I think, I think we can interpret that maybe even as a command. Today, I'm getting over a cold. I don't sound good, but I'm going to sing. I'm going I'm to do my best, and I'm going to, you know, do what I can and offer what I have. So that's a, that's a heart issue mm -hmm. there. You know, the Lord is not looking at our worship. He's not looking necessarily for, for polish. I think he does want some people to do their best, mm -hmm. and some people have more skill at it than others. Uh, it comes more easily to some than others, but I think it's a, 
as a, as an offering of the heart. Uh, the Colossians three reading, uh, we see psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs mentioned. These three categories of things, and Paul also mentions that same list in a passage in the book of Ephesians as well. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and I think that's an interesting list. And if only because it shows up twice mm -hmm. in Scripture, I think that's something that's good to pay attention to. Um, so psalms. Here we have the New Testament church. They're retaining the book of Psalms from the Hebrew Bible, you know, mm -hmm. just as we do. And I'm, I'm glad that we use a psalm, you know, almost every Sunday in our worship. I think, I think that is a good thing. Um, so maintaining some of the traditional material, some of the, the heritage of the people of God. And then Paul also talks about hymns and spiritual songs. And with these two terms, it's a, actually a little trickier. We don't really know for certain what Paul was referring to. So when he says hymns and spiritual songs, that's going to sound probably very much very different from what we think of today as hymns and spiritual songs. Because remember that the first Christian music was Middle Eastern music. It came out of this Hebrew tradition. It was Middle Eastern. It doesn't sound anything like what we hear today as contemporary Christian music, or even what we know today as you know, things that we've known in the church for 400, 500 years, you know, in, in the last 500, 600 years. Very different sounds, very different mm -hmm. sounds. But hymns, uh, this could mean things that are more doctrinal, more poetic, uh, more worked out, and more structured. So the structure. And then spiritual songs could mean things that are more spontaneous, mm -hmm. more improvised. Uh, some people look at this passage and say maybe it's like singing in tongues as practiced mm -hmm. by some mm -hmm. Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think that's somewhat justifiable. Mm -hmm. um, but then some scholars will also look at that passage, look at those terms, hymns and spiritual songs, and say, well, uh, they, they were maybe Paul was thinking of music style, mm -hmm. and that hymns meant a certain kind of uh, uh, syllabic style that's, that's somewhat akin to what we know uh, today in most of what we sing, and spiritual songs are something that was more um, improvised and melismatic. Mm -hmm. So we, we can't know mm -hmm. for certain, mm -hmm. but I think there again, variety is affirmed, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, so, so different kinds of things. Um, I also like to make the point that new material seems to be important in scripture, so that most of the time that the word song or songs appears in the Bible, the word new is right in front of it. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing a new song. Okay, over and over this happens. I think that's important for us to remember, okay, no matter who we are, uh, because some of us, you know, at different stages of our life, have not been all that open to new songs, mm -hmm. or to new material in our church or our other, our other fellowships. But it's over, it's there, over and over again in scripture, a new song. So, you know, let's remember, every song or hymn that we know 
started out as an unfamiliar song or theme. So I would just I would just encourage us all, let's not resist new material, new songs, unfamiliar things, uh, things that we that we don't know. Um, I'd also like to point out in the Wesley reading that we that we did, you know, and you know, we're not going to elevate that to the level of scriptural authority, but there are some interesting things here that I think we can, uh, that are useful for us. Um, in, the, in the first paragraph that we see there, you know, Wesley says, if singing is a cross to you, if singing is a cross to you, maybe it is to some of you all the time, maybe on, only on certain days, Maybe only in the morning it is, you know? If it is a cross to you, take it up, and you will find it a blessing. Isn't it also interesting that Wesley says, sing all our tunes as quick as we did at first. All our, this, is, this is over 300 years ago. Sing the tunes as quick as you did at first. So there are folks out there who, who think, think of hymns as being slow music. Well, here's John Wesley, you know, 350 years ago, saying, we, let's make sure that our singing is lively. Mm -hmm. Make sure mm -hmm. that our singing is lively. Um, and also, let not your heart be carried away with the sound. Okay, so, uh, in other words, keep the focus on the Lord, not, not on the music, right? Because, you know, music is one of those many things that can become an idol. Well, what are some of the myths and misconceptions about worshiping in song and music that are existing churches today that we might want to address? Myths and misconceptions. Um, I'll start by saying that hymn writers historically, most of them just wrote words. So they wrote poetry. They were not songwriters in the modern sense. So people like Isaac Watts, whose hymns we still sing, he wrote a ton of hymns. But when we say he wrote a ton of hymns, he wrote poetry. Right. They were poems that were intended to be sung. So one way to think about it is that the word hymn, maybe we could just apply that to the text, the words. Okay? So a lot of the tunes that we use for the hymns of Isaac Watts, so for instance, Oh God, our help in ages past, when I survey the wondrous cross, I sing the almighty power of God. All those are Isaac Watts. Um, he didn't write tunes. Likewise, Charles Wesley. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're singing Oh for a Thousand Tongues at the end of the service today. Charles Wesley never heard that tune to his hymn. He didn't, he didn't write it. He was the hymn writer, meaning that he wrote the poetry, but a lot of times hymns, the poems, and the music, they have very different lineages. Mm -hmm. They come from different places. And then at some point, the, the words and the tune were married, so to speak, whether in a hymnal or by a particular fellowship or church. Um, so, and another classic example of that, and uh, you know, sorry if I'm disillusioning any of you here, but John Newton, Amazing Grace, okay? Anglican minister, wrote Amazing Grace. What does that mean? He wrote the words. 
and he died some 50, 60 years before that tune was ever put with his words. Wow. Amazing Grace, which was in, John Newton was in England, that tune to those words arose in America. It was first printed in an American hymn book. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's interesting to, to think about. They were not singer-songwriters, most of them, in the modern vein, you know, like uh, Chris Tomlin or Keith and Kristen Getty and Stuart Townend, who, you know, who all do great work, I think. But most hymn writers historically were interested in writing texts, and they weren't musicians. Now, one notable exception to that is Martin Luther, who was also a musician, okay? So one of the founders of the Reformation, and we still sing some of his hymns, like A Mighty Fortress. And of course, now if you're in a Lutheran church, you sing a lot more Luther than, than we do. But, uh, but a lot of Luther's hymns are retained. He was a musician, and he wrote those tunes, a lot of the tunes himself. Um, another myth, and I, I bring this to you in the spirit that all truth is God's truth. Uh, one of the myths that you'll hear from time to time is that Luther, for A Mighty Fortress, borrowed the tune from a drinking song. Okay, a lot of us have heard that. I even heard that a little bit growing up. Um, but uh, completely a myth, actually. Luther wrote that tune himself. Partially that myth comes from the idea that uh, there was a, a particular musical style or form called bar form. But it was called bar form not because it was sung in bars. <laughs> it could have been, but it was because a, re a repeated line of music had a bar at the end of it, you know, their printed music looked very different from our printed music today. And so people started calling that bar form. But that doesn't mean it was sung, it was a drinking song, but it was sung in the bar, okay? And yeah, Reformation, Reformation figures used secular material. That's happened throughout the, you know, the centuries, people borrowing secular tunes. Mm -hmm. But just because a tune is secular or comes from a different source, that doesn't mean it's a drinking song. Likewise, Charles Wesley's O Four Thousand Tongues, which we're going to sing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in Methodist circles, that's one of the things. Yeah, well, of course, Wes Wesley took that from a drinking song. No, no. don't think so. <laughs> he, and he also never heard that tune with those words. By the way, again, that came quite a while after his death, that particular preparing of the, of the words and the melody. Okay, is there anything else you would want us as a congregation to know about worshiping in song? Well, I think church we use a variety of material you know we use the psalms I think that um, I think it's good to see here that we do uh, have we have there's some structure in our worship but there's also some spontaneity right you know in our time of prayer and we, we open it up you know um, it's good to leave room for the, the Lord to work I think um, let's see if there's anything else that, uh, that I would, would want to add there you know, Gene, I think I've, I've, I've shared the, the main things that I, that I had to share. Yeah. So I think at this point, if you want to add or wrap yeah. it up or correct me. No. No. That's no. Not at all, brother. Thank you, Brian. Let's hear it for Brian. Thank you. In, in closing, my friends, I just want to encourage us that full buckets cannot help but overflow. And you heard Brian teach us well that God's word
calls us to worship in song and sometimes even new songs. So don't ever come up to me and say, I'm not familiar with that song. I'm going to say, well, we're called to worship a new song. All right? So learn it with me. Yeah? You're not going to love every song we choose. But the reality is, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about glorifying God in Jesus Christ. And those people who say, well, you know, I just don't sing because I can't sing. You heard him. Maybe you need some deliverance, so come up and pray. Because it's a sin not to glorify God. My old man, when I was in college, and I gave my life to Christ when I was 21 years old with Kim by my side, later on, my dad was coming into the faith. And we would go to Truro and sit up in the balcony, so because that's where the choir was, and he could sing and not offend anybody. Because he was awful. Absolutely awful. But he understood this. I'm going to make a joyful noise today, so let's, sing up to, let's sit up in the choir. <laughs> okay, Dad. And, and you know, and, and you honestly were next to the choir. You couldn't even hear yourself. You were part of the choir. And so I just want to encourage you. Make a joyful noise, because out of a full bucket, it overflows. Our love for the Lord and our love for one another. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you. There's, there's three times in this Colossian readings that we're called to give thanks to God the Father through Jesus and all that you've done for us. And that everything we do in word and deed is for your glory, but especially in the way we sing and make melody in our hearts with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Lord, make us a grateful people for all you've done for us in that. And for any of us who are challenged, don't, I just pray, Lord, you would give us greater confidence in who you are so you'd be glorified in each and every one of us as we sing your praises here at Christ Church. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.